BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This man who was arrested at the Loudoun County Board meeting this week, that is John Tiggis, and he will be here with us tonight. What he has to say will shock you. And this gave another bumbling speech about the Second Amendment as he sent out the DOJ to crack down on your gun rights. We'll show you what he said. And the tragic collapse of a building in Miami this morning left one dead and 99 more are still missing. Our own Karen Turk is on the scene there tonight with the latest. All of that and more tonight on Dr. Gina Primetime. I'm Dr. Gina. Welcome to Primetime. All right, we start tonight with the doctor's orders. Conservatives and America First MAGA patriots are known for supporting the police and backing the blue. Law enforcement is essential to a civil society, and we recognize that. But folks on the right are also known for distrusting politicians and government bureaucrats. And that also is essential for Western civil societies because we all know what happens when government becomes too big and too powerful. They eventually take away the rights of the people. They become tyrannical dictatorships. And police are, when you boil it down, an arm of the government. So how do we reconcile our distrust of government with our support for our police? Even local elected officials can become pretty corrupt. That's what is happening with the school board in Loudoun County, Virginia. The public is ticked and they raised their concerns at a school board meeting where they were set to make their voices heard about critical race theory and the hypersexualization of their own children. But the elected officials didn't want to hear any more from the public and the police were given orders from the school board superintendent to clear the room of the parents and residents who gathered for the scheduled meeting. And some were even arrested. This man is John Tiggis. He's become somewhat of a hero. It didn't look like the police really wanted to arrest him. They seemed like they were almost pleading with him to get him to leave at the request of the school board. But the police complied with their orders from school administrators and dragged John Tiggis and others out of the meeting in handcuffs. So why? Instead, didn't police try to plead with school administrators and convince them to just let the police speak to an empty room or sit there peacefully until they were ready to leave? The police had options here. That's the thing that you need to know. The police obeyed their orders instead, though, from the school board and the school superintendent and arrested those who wouldn't comply with their orders of their elected officials. Now, the irony here is that the school board is elected by the public and they are accountable to the voters and so are the police. The police are funded by taxpayers and set up by local governments that were established by the people. 
Law and order upheld by police is essential in a civic society, but the police should be respected as much as they should be distrusted. Police are people. Politicians are people. And you know the famous quote, power tends to corrupt and absolute power corrupts absolutely, right? So when power is given from people to governments, including law enforcement, that power must be kept constantly in check. Law enforcement officers are going to find themselves in these situations more and more as leftists in powerful positions use the police to crack down on MAGA patriots. But if you think that law enforcement officers will disobey orders and join with the patriots when government overreaches, then you're wrong. The police officers in Loudoun County this week could have easily disobeyed the orders to drag these concerned residents out of a school board meeting that, by the way, they paid for. All they wanted was their voice to be heard. But the officers did what they were told, and they got out their handcuffs, and they used them. Now, in tough times, we have tough decisions to make, and sometimes it causes you to be on the other side of the law enforcement officers that you respect and admire and have defended for years with your time and talents. John Tiggis could have obeyed the school board and left the meeting. He could have backed down when officers threatened him, but he stood, and he did not back down. As many friends and friends and family as we all have in law enforcement and as much as we've all supported them over the years, now is the time for them to have our backs too. Talk to them if you know them. If they're your friends and family, this is the time for you to have this conversation with them. And that's your doctor's orders for today. And John Tiggis joins us next right here on Dr. Gina Primetime. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Welcome back. People are rising up around the country and demanding answers about what public schools that we pay for, by the way, even if we homeschool, we still pay for them. What are they teaching our children? Critical race theory blames slavery and racism on school children and teaches racism, by the way. And science these days teaches children that gender is basically whatever you want it to be in the moment. It sexualizes children as early as possible and it confuses them. Well, we are getting to the boiling point and the school boards know that because parents are making them aware of that. We showed you video earlier of the Loudoun County School Board meeting this week and how it was shut down when the members didn't like what parents and residents were saying. John Tiggis was one of the people arrested at that Loudoun County School Board meeting and he joins us now. John, thank you for being here. Thank you, Dr. Gina. It's a pleasure to be here. John, I am, I, I was mortified when I watched that video. I'm not going to lie. Your tax dollars paid for the building you were standing in, paid for the salaries of the school board members that were telling you you didn't have a right to your First Amendment, paid for the police officers that no doubt you've backed the blue a hundred times before, paid their salaries. How in the world did they, any of them, have a right to tell you you couldn't stand there for as long as you please and state your case? Yeah, exactly. The whole thing um, to this day just feels a little surreal. 
And, but when you look at it and you, and you kind of peek back at the whole thing, it, it was just a setup. It was clearly a setup. They had front-loaded the speakers with about 10 of the, the only folks in the room, I think, that actually agreed with the school board's position. And when people finally started speaking that actually opposed them, they immediately found a reason. Ironically, through applause as a reason to shut down the whole meeting. And the applause was just for our own perspective, Senator Dick Black. So that's what? that's what's just baffling about the whole thing. And then afterwards, um, come to find out that the sheriff's um, deputies were all pre-positioned and ready to move as rapidly. And there was even a bizarre scuffle off to the side that apparently the superintendent used as a reason to declare an unlawful assembly while we're all standing peacefully presenting our cases even if the school board wasn't there so it's it's pretty bizarre and 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 why you know when the when the police officer asked you in that moment um you know are you going to leave why didn't you back down why didn't you just leave and go home and do what the police told you to do because there are millions of people around the country who that's exactly what they're doing. They're backing down. They're not standing their ground. Now you're right. We've been retreating for the last 50 years. And that's exactly why we needed to stand our ground. Um, Loudoun County right now is in the front lines of this war. And if we, when we win here, we're gonna start winning in other places because courage is courageous. Excuse me, courage is contagious. And the one thing that I had told the police officers, we'd had an ongoing discussion leading up to that final statement is, is I had helped organize getting people to speak regardless of whether the school board was there or not and was actually managing times and everything, making sure everyone had a chance to speak. And I said, I'm not, not leaving until everyone's had a chance to speak. And I made that commitment to everyone and I was gonna hold myself to that as well and they started hurting people and threatening people that if they didn't leave they were trespassing on their own public property and b that they were going to be arrested this is the type of intimidation and and ultimately totalitarianism that i used to see when i was in the military in places like the middle east and africa yeah good god i can't believe i'm seeing it in my own backyard yeah because in my opinion the police there could have, instead of arresting you, turned back to the superintendent of the school board and said, I'm not gonna do that, right? Exactly. Uh, the reality is, is that there was nothing illegal, unlawful going on. We were there on their invitation. They just decided to take their ball and go home. And we just continued peacefully to press our case. And there was nothing illegal whatsoever. It was an unlawful determination. And, and, and when I was in the military, if you got an unlawful order, you had a moral imperative to disobey it. And sheriff's office, police officers, all their first, first item that they swear to do is to protect, protect okay, individual citizens. And in this case, yeah. the most fundamental protection starts with our First Amendment right. Everything else is based upon that. And without that, we have nothing. And in this case, 
it was trampled on, not just for me, but for all 500 people that were in that room who came there to either speak or listen. The Constitution guarantees us the ability to press our grievances. We don't have to be mean about it, but you know what? It can get heated. In fact, um, one of the most interesting things that was pointed out to me afterwards is that in the Civil Rights Movement, when Dr. King actually placed an ad in the New York Times after what had taken place in Selma, there was a Supreme Court decision, completely unanimous, that laid out the standard that public officials need to take when it comes to listening to their constituents, we the people. And it says, quote, New York Times versus Sullivan, public discussion is a political duty, and this should be a fundamental principle of the American government. Such discussion must be uninhibited, robust, and wide open, and may well include vehement, caustic, and sometimes unpleasantly sharp attacks on government and public officials. If you don't like what people have to say, you don't have the right to declare an unlawful assembly and, and then arrest people. That's what happens mm -hmm. in banana republics. Yeah. I don't want to live in a ban Chuck banana republic. And, and that's why we ultimately had to say, we draw the line here, cuff me, but we are not going to take this anymore. And, and what happened to you after they did cuff you? Can you explain what happened after that? Oh, they, they took me outside, paraded me in front of everyone. They, they'd done a really good job of putting this big paddy wagon out. They threw me in a, a side cell, bashed my head on the way in. The thing was completely dark. They strapped me in and they rolled off so everyone could see that this terrible person who was being so unlawful was gonna be put away someplace. And then instead, we went rolling around in the dark for 20 or 30 minutes. And when they opened the door, we were right back in the parking lot, however, in a cordon off area that no one could get to or could see. And that's when we started having a nice little discussion about what authority they had to both arrest me and to declare it an unlawful assembly. And they don't have an answer and they still haven't. I was promised by one of the police officers, Sergeant Flores, that he would show it to me in writing that that could happen, and they haven't produced it. it so have, will you get an attorney involved? It, it doesn't exist. Will, will you get an attorney involved? Um, you know, fortunately, um, one of the attorneys that has assisted us in uh, a case I have against General, excuse me, General, Governor Northam, our uh, Virginia blackface governor, um, he just happened to be there. Um, and so he actually took my wife and got her back to the magistrate office thinking I was gonna end up there and, and then ultimately volunteered to take our case. But it's, it's gonna be an easy case because there's no judge on the planet that's gonna find us in violation of trespassing when we're invited to come and present our thoughts. There's just no way it's gonna happen. Did the police seem like they wanted to do what they did? I, I'm very bothered by this because I feel like not all police are good, uh, but I feel like the patriot movement out there, the constitutionalists out there, have had their backs, right, for, for so many years and in, such, and in such dramatic ways and even much to the detriment of self, right, and even to the detriment of the movement in some cases. So when I see police act like we saw that police officer act to you 
in the video that is now, of course, completely viral. Um, I, I'm very bothered by that. Did they seem like they wanted to do what they did? Was this one bad guy with a badge who just was on a power trip? Uh, did the rest of them have the same sort of arrogance? Or did they, as a group, seem reluctant to arrest you? Can you describe sort of the attitude of the police that day? You know, I, uh, I have a lot of respect for the police and particularly our sheriff's department. I've had nothing but good, good things to say about them. Um, but when I found out that they had predetermined that this was going to happen and this is how they were going to respond to it, um, that means they had time to think about it. That means they had time to, they should have legally done some research around something like First Amendment. and. The, the bar that has to be hit before you can arrest people who are peacefully pressing their case in a public place. There's, right. there's just, that's the piece that to me is really bothersome. Um, I've seen some articles that the gentleman, the major that arrested me has a really interesting background in terms of the NAACP and doing some really interesting, strange things. Um, there was some other strange, like I said, felt like it was a setup. And it was like they were just checking off the list. As soon as you say I'm not gonna go, they were gonna they were gonna lock handcuffs on. And they did seem a little aggressive and that one particular officer who declared please arrest this gentleman seemed to be a little gleeful about it. So that's that bothers me. On the other hand, I want to tell you that a couple other gentlemen were exceptionally respectful. In fact, is the lowest ranking guy there that I thought was in charge of it because he was so professional and and actually it really got my attention because uh, it turned out he was a uh, former Army uh, MP, which started making some sense to me because he dealt with <laughs> a lot of trouble when he was in the military. But I, I was exceptionally impressed with him. But as a whole, uh, we... Yeah, I want to ask you, I want to get in one more question. I'm really short on time at this point. We'll, we, but you were a fascinating interview. I've got to give it to you. Will those members be defeated, do you believe, in future elections? Because I think if I remember correctly from my interview yesterday with Ron Meyer, he said that there was a 9-2 majority. I may have that number wrong. Um, they sure don't seem like they're worried about an election, but I'm curious what your take is on that demographic. So... It's two and a half years before they'll come up for election, so they're on a rampage. Is there is, there, is, an, is there an option? Is there an alternative? So there is an ongoing recall. In fact, while that school board meeting was going on, one of the um, individuals who's been the one that was responsible for the enemies list and and trying to go after parents who were against them, they just about achieved their couple couple votes short or, or uh, signatures short of achieving the recall to send it to a judge. Um, she committed a felony, in my opinion. Um, I'm not a legal person. You commit a felony, you have no business serving in public government. So we're hoping that we're going to be able to take them one by one that way. And if they don't go then, we are going to get them in the election. And by the way, it's not 9-2 or 7-2 or whatever it is. They're all in on it. Every single one voted together, including one who's running by the name of John Beatty for Republican House position. They all voted to cancel that meeting instantly as if they were planning on it. And yeah. that is where we end. If we don't have elected officials 
including on the right, that have conviction and the courage to stand on it, we're not ever going to win this. We need leadership well, that's going to actually see this thing through and are willing to stand. And there was other political people that were pulling people out of the room. And that's just it. That's a losing strategy. We've been doing it for 50 years. It's time that we not only stand, but we start taking this country back. Well, John Tigges, I would say um, you took one giant step in that direction for all the world to see, and you are to be commended and t personally thanked by everyone uh, out here who has been just scrambling, trying to think how we can take our country back. So thank you, and thank you for being with us today, and please keep us apprised, will you? We will. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. All right, the Biden DOJ sending out teams across the country to crack down on gun crime, or so they say, but you know that when Democrats start cracking down on gun crime, they aren't going after criminals, they're coming after you. Make no mistake, there will be no gangbangers arrested by these DOJ task forces. They won't be searching for the people who gunned down the young Puerto Rican couple in Chicago in absolute cold blood, so horrific, but that is not what Joe Biden is after. That is not what this is about. Joe Biden gave nearly an incoherent speech about how he plans to stop the homicide epidemic in America. Listen. Only, and I might add, the Second Amendment from the day it was passed limited the type of people who could own a gun and what type of weapon you could own. You couldn't buy a cannon. Those who say the blood of the, the blood of patriots, you know, and all the stuff about how we're going to have to move against the government. Well, the tree of liberty is not water with the blood of patriots. What's happened is that there have never been, if you wanted to think you need to have weapons to take on the government, you need F-15s and maybe some nuclear weapons. The point is that there's always been the ability to limit, rationally limit the type of weapon that can be owned and who can own it. What the heck are you even talking about, Joe? He doesn't know. Let's ask Breitbart News Second Amendment correspondent, A.W.R. Hawkins. A.W.R., great to see you. Thank you for being with us. Tell me, do you have your decoder ring on so you can help decipher what the heck Sleepy Joe is even saying there? No. I felt like I was on the Tommy Boy set. I wanted to, did I hear a niner in there? I mean, that was, yeah, he, he just rambled, but you know, a lot of dangerous statements, and uh, but the statement about the Second Amendment being limited, he's made that off and on for a year and a half, two years. That's very dangerous. Uh, I would like to ask him if the 19th Amendment is limited, uh, because he says all amendments are limited. He said that in a different place, and that he makes that argument so that then he can go after the Second Amendment. So is the 19th Amendment limited? I'd like to know, and I think uh, women in our country who vote would like to know. So, uh, you know, Joe Biden just rambles, rambles, rambles. He can't. It, you're spot on, Dr. Gina. He, they have no intention of going after the gangbangers. But if they could find a good reason to come after me or to come after your local FFL, who has probably never broken a law in his or her life, they'll sure do that. And uh, that's kind of what he let us know. That's the focus. That's how it's going to work. 
Yeah, and uh, and that of course are the gu those of course are legal gun uh, dealers who are already, by the way, um, <laughs> just regulated and overregulated and re-regulated. And by the way, the simplest line of thought on this for those who are watching who haven't thought these things through is it is just such common sense. I think the one part w w this made sense to me. I was looking through my grandfather's gun magazines when I was about 15 years old, and I was in that frame of thought, you know, when we all are thinking through these things. And I was like, you know, yeah, if we just got rid of all the guns, that would seem to make a lot of sense. And my grandpa said he had his NRA magazine sitting there on the coffee table. And he said, if we get rid of all the guns, we make a law to get rid of all the guns, Gina, who do you suppose is going to obey the laws, the criminals or the law, -abi law abiding citizens? And that made me right. think, and that was the last word I ever needed on more gun laws for the law-abiding to abide by, because the criminals are never going to abide by them. So you put more laws on the FFLs, the gun dealers, the legally abiding, uh, whether it's your uh, you know, concealed carry folks or whomever, you are never going to decrease crime like we saw in that horrendous video with that beautiful Puerto Rican couple, those parents leaving those two beautiful little children without a mama and a daddy, you're never going to correct those sorts of crimes, nor the crimes that we see all weekend, every weekend, in every Democrat city across the entire country. Um, when we hear Democrat administrators say that they are going to crack down on something, we know that it means they're going to actually expand their own bureaucracy, right? Give themselves more power. Um, and that always comes with a certain price. And that means taking away more liberty from us. What is your best prediction? The practical ramifications of this sort of new, you've got to admit, this is a little bit of a different angle, AWR, than we've seen in the past from other um, socialist administrations. Uh, this is a little bit of a different angle uh, Creepy Joe is going after a different realm here. What is this going to feel like for those of us who uh, try to defend our society, what's left of it, um, with our Second Amendment rights? Right. Well, what's going to happen, it's going to discourage a lot of people who are probably thinking about getting their FFL, which is their federal firearm license. Uh, and uh, they're going to be discouraged from doing it because of the increased paperwork, the increased regulation, the increased checks from the ATF. And that's probably part of the goal. Uh, the other thing will be a lot of people that have their FFLs may close their doors. That's probably yeah. a lot of the goal. I think these are two quick, practical outcomes that we'll see. But also in this... As with all Democrat gun control, this is just another layer. And when this doesn't stop crime, which it won't do, you're exactly right. The, the people that killed that Puerto Rican family, they didn't walk into Cabela's or another respectable outlet like that and buy their gun. They bought it off the street somewhere. Yes. University of Chicago Crime Lab studies prove that kind of that's where they buy their gun. So when crime continues, they'll just add more gun control on top of this. So it's the incremental nature of this that is going to continue to weigh us down. And every every time they swing the, swing the axe like this, they take a chunk out of our ability to exercise our rights. And to me, that's the larger threat and the bigger picture. That's why we have to fight every bit of this tooth and nail. And, and when they do shut down some of these licensed gun dealers, um, what, what, because they'll just go away. They won't want to put up with even further regulation, et cetera, et cetera, like you just laid out for us. Um, that won't affect 
the wealthy in this country and their security. That won't affect probably you and I, honestly, in our gun ownership, because we probably have access to a lot of guns already. It will affect the single woman whose abusive husband walks out on her and then decides to come back and kill her. It will affect uh, the person who maybe for the first time, the young person who maybe has a middle class job or a first time job and wants to own their first gun because maybe they live in a dangerous college campus area in an inner city that is Democrat run and they want to be able to not get raped in their apartment, right? These are the kinds of people that will die, AWR. So we're not talking about gun dealers. That all sounds all bureaucratic and whatever, and you think, well, whatever, okay, so another business is put out of business. No one cares, right? The left doesn't care about that. But we are talking about dead women and dead children. Right. No, you're exactly right. When the rubber hits the road, that's the, that's the thing I hate when I cover Chicago shootings every weekend. I mean, you can get used to it. 49 shot, 53 shot, five killed, yeah. seven killed, eight killed. But what you have to realize, which you do, I know you do and your viewers do, a lot of those people are single moms who right now their only sense of protection or means of protection is a deadbolt and a baseball bat. And the more yes. gun control we pass like this, the FFLs will have to raise price on their gun to cover the price of keeping up with all the new regulation. And it's going to make the Second Amendment cost prohibitive for that mom. And it's her life that's on the line. As you say, her children's lives are on the line. This is bigger than a, than a numbers game. People have to understand real life is at risk. That's why our founders hedged this whole right in. I, they hedged it in so that we could defend ourselves. Uh, Supreme Court Justice Sam Alito said self-defense is the central component of the Second Amendment. And when we put gun control upon gun control, it's hard to it's hard to exercise that central component. It's hard to defend ourselves. That's why the best investment right now. I did, I wouldn't say I'm not I'm not an advisor, but I aside from you know, apart from gold and silver and stocks or whatever, I would definitely say guns and especially ammo. Uh, AWR Hawkins, it is always valuable to have you on this show. Thank you so much for being with us. Great to be with you. Thank you very much. Coming up. We have a report from the ground in Miami where that condo building has collapsed. We will get an update on the search for survivors in that rubble from our own Karen Turk, who is on the ground there with that report up next. It's a sad, sad story. It's going to require a lot of prayer. Stay with us. More Dr. Gina primetime after this. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welcome back. Rescuers in South Florida are searching for survivors after an apartment building was partially collapsed in Miami just this morning. 99 people still unaccounted for. Karen Turk is on the scene now. Karen, this story is so sad, just absolutely tragic. Tell us. 
It's horrible. Just being out here and seeing the utter devastation, it's, it's really somber here. We're actually on the beach. There's some other media outlets out here. There's people around. Everybody seems to be in a moment where they're offering prayers. Uh, if you could see the building behind me, it's not easy to make out from the angle we're at, but one of the things that sticks out as you walk onto this beach is you see the entire building is open to what appear to be bedrooms. And towards the top of this building, very visibly, there is a bunk bed. So that hits home for everybody when they're standing here that these are families, these are children, these are loved ones. And, you know, we've spent a lot of time down here. We walked down to the Family Reunification Center. We've talked to some people that escaped the building and just a really horribly devastating situation. And for many of us, for me included, it it really is reminiscent of 9-11 when we watched the Twin Towers come down, the amount of dust, debris, and the utter wreckage that is visible here it's it's like a war zone are we garnering any insight as to how this happened i mean we have building codes in america this looks like a third world country um you know rumors are already starting to spread i don't want to speculate on anything but are we are we just supposing this was just an error in building code is that what we're hearing I've heard so many mixed things and, you know, not to go the conspiracy route, but, you know, coming down here and seeing it with your own eyes, it is hard to absorb that this could have been an act of nature or just some sort of construction flaw. The way this building came down, and if you look at the building behind me, you'd almost see, you'd think that both sides of that building were even. The reality is, is that building side that is open had an entire tower, like an L-shaped building that came out towards the beach. That entire tower is gone. It is pancaked with the level of the sand. There's nothing left. So it's, it's hard to understand how this could have happened. There was some talk. I talked to somebody from the building that said that there had been potentially some renovations and construction going on. But renovation and constructions go on every day in condo buildings all over America. And this does not happen. So this is far from typical. This is a heavily Orthodox Jewish community. There's been some talk about the rise in anti-Semitism and whether or not it could be related to that. And I think any time a tragedy like this hits, because we've seen so much domestic terrorism over the years, your mind does go to the fact that it might not be natural causes. And certainly, I think everybody hopes that's not the case. But no matter what happened here, there's families, children, parents, grandparents involved, and it's a horribly tragic situation. At this point, um, are we still, they're still pulling people out? I know, and, and tell people, too, a little bit about what the weather's like there um, for the purposes of being able to still extract people from the rubble. It's been intermittent rain all day. There's 136 units in the building total. Uh, they did rescue somewhere around 50 survivors from the building. From the last counts I got, there was one fatality and one critical injury, but 
you know, we're we're all grappling with the reality here that most likely there's going to be many, many more fatalities based on the damage and the wreckage, which is hard to tell on a television camera, but is all too real when you're standing here. In talking to some of the families that were in the building, a lot of them said that it seemed like a bomb went off, that there was a shock wave that went through the building. Um, the vice mayor of Miami actually has a unit in this condo building, and Mr. Cohen described it as hearing a missile go off and opening his door to the wreckage. And uh, him and his wife actually escaped to the basement of the building. As the water table started to rise, they were saved by rescuers. But there's a lot of stories like that coming out of this building. And uh, unfortunately, it looks like we're going to see a lot more fatalities before this is all over. And uh, what's the media coverage been like down there? Is it pretty heavy? Are you seeing a lot of media down there? Um, it, you know, I remember going down to cover, of course, the tragic shooting just a couple of years ago. Um, and I'm just curious, um, as the media starts to come around, you know, it, it, it everything begins to change in terms of how they'll let you cover it. Tell us a little bit of the inside behind the curtain, if you will. Yeah, well, when we first got here, we were actually one of the first uh, teams here on the beach. Uh, a lot of people were going around to where they were telling the media to be, which was not where you could actually see the building and the wreckage. They wanted you to walk around and be on the street side. They had set up a media area there, and we were lucky enough to run into a gentleman that said, you're going to need to go to the beach if you're going to want to get decent footage of the building. So they were definitely trying to keep that under wraps. They were trying to keep the news crews away from seeing the actual wreckage. I guess they'd rather you see it, you know, from, you know, a drone or a helicopter rather than a reporter standing here. As more and more media started to find the beach, uh, they came in and the Fish and Wildlife Commission actually moved us back and bumped us a lot further away from the building. So they've been pushing back the boundaries all day. And from what we understand, there were dogs that went in. Unfortunately, those dogs did not see any signs of life. Um, we've seen search and rescue crews actively looking. The first responders here are doing an amazing job, but they do continue to push us back. And the FBI is on scene and is investigating. So the FBI is investigating, and there are still 99 people missing. Um, that's terrifying. Have they begun the process, as far as you know, of uh, contacting family members? Are they in touch? And are you hearing from or seeing any of those family members who are looking for their loved ones? Yeah, uh, if you can see behind me, behind the building, I don't know if you can see, there's a blue building behind me, and right near that blue building is the Family Reunification Center, and they've actually set up this facility, which is normally a place to hold community events and parties, and unfortunately today, it's a place for families to go that have been separated for people that are missing loved ones. And we talked to a couple of families that for obvious reasons didn't want to go on camera. Um, all of them are very shooken. They're looking for their relatives that are missing. I talked to one man that is missing both his mother and his grandmother. He spoke to them last night, had a conversation with them about taking his daughter to an event. Um, and today he woke up to this and, and he was there and he, he said that he doesn't see much hope. He doesn't expect to find them alive. And it's stories like that that really hit home and you realize just what a tragedy this is because from what we've seen today since they pulled out one survivor and one critically injured person, 
we haven't seen them pulling anybody else out. And the amount of devastation on this building, which is hard to see from where I'm standing, it's it's hard to grasp. It is just like a ground zero where there's there's almost a crater. There's just a pancake building on top of each other. It's hard to believe that anybody could have survived that. Also, Karen, um, what what else do we know about this area? You said largely Orthodox Jew. Um, and where is this in, in relative uh, proximity to, for example, what we think of in terms of South Beach, Miami? How far are you from there? And um, tell us a little bit more about the neighborhood and, uh, and, and other things that might, might help us understand a little bit more um, about the community there. It's a it's a very family oriented neighborhood. It is north of South Beach, you know, that is a much more urban sprawl uh, party town. This is more of a bedroom community. It's a quiet beach community, mostly families, some vacationers, a lot of older people that have retired here. It is diverse, but it is heavily orthodox. Um, you know, like any other neighborhood or community, people want to be around their family members, people that they care about, and the, that particular community has really found a home here and if you look around at the other buildings behind me you'll see that it's rows of condos after condos and it's the type of place where families know each other a lot of the people in this building knew each other when we went to the family reunification center there were a lot of people there just looking to lend support there were rabbis from the neighborhood who came down to see if they could have people come and stay with them rather than going into shelters um, one of the things that I've been very touched by today and I think is, is a, a beautiful moment that we can take out of this, if there is one, is that this community has really come together in the wake of this tragedy and that the spiritual leaders, neighbors, friends, and even people here on vacation have come out to offer things like pillows, blankets, clothing, food, and even their homes, opening up their homes to each other, to these families that have been displaced. But really, your heart has to go out to the people that are missing, the people that are unaccounted for, and those numerous, numerous families that are in this reunification center that's normally the central hub for this neighborhood. This is the type of neighborhood where people to get together for, you know, bat mitzvahs and, you know, celebrations and religious activities in these community centers. And now these community centers have become a place for them to look for lost loved ones. It's a, it's a really hard reality to swallow, but this is a really tight knit community in every sense of the word. Karen, you know, I, I have to tell you, I don't know how many of these you've covered. Um, I've covered tornadoes that have killed hundreds. Um, I've been right there in the rubble. rubble. I, as I told you, I killed the shooting. I covered the shooting uh, right here in Florida, right uh, when I landed on the ground in Florida. It was the first thing I did for the Sean Hannity show. I, I can tell you, you come away completely changed forever. But you're right. The one thing that you do get out of it is uh, is that uh, that humanity and the way people do pull together in a community like that. And I would think, especially in an Orthodox Jewish community, um, that will be the part of it that will be uh, really beautiful. Um, the one good takeaway. I, I I just want. I hope that you can relate to them. That the team here at RAV has them in our prayers fervently. And will have, and we'll just hope for a lot of miracles uh, there behind you, 
over the next day or so as soon as possible. Karen, thank you so much for rushing down there and getting this coverage for us and so that we can see what it is we will be praying for hard for the next, next few hours. Thank you. All right, the Bureau of Labor Statistics released the latest data on unemployment yesterday. And as we look at the list of the top 10 states with the highest unemployment numbers, it just so happens that every one of the states with an unemployment rate of 7% or more in May were all states with Democrat governors. And as we worry about inflation, and as the Fed now has warned that inflation is going to be even worse than we thought, now we have the government doing exactly what they shouldn't do right now. Joe Biden announced today that he reached a deal with a handful of Republican senators to spend $1.2 trillion on infrastructure. Of course, the U.S. government does not have the money to do that. They have to take it from you. And they will probably print a little, too, because why not? So what could possibly go wrong? Let's ask the founder and CEO of RJL Enterprises, Inc., Ray Lucia Sr. Ray, great to see you. Good to see you, Gina. Thanks for having me. Ray, spending a few trillion here, a few trillion there, never <laughs> hurt an economy, did it? Pretty soon it adds up, doesn't it? Yeah, and here in California, it's 10 times worse than probably anywhere else because we've got to put up with Gavin Newsom all at the same time. And if you want to celebrate with chicken wings, uh, don't do it because the price of chicken has doubled. It's doubled. Wow. So. This this inflationary cycle that we're going through, although they call it transitory, who knows? Uh, but it's self-inflicted, like so much that's happened with the Biden administration. And Ray, I mentioned the high unemployment. Um, this isn't helping the situation either, because this is you know you take a restaurant with the price of chicken doubling. Uh, you want to go in and have a chicken sandwich. Now you're paying extra because they've got to pay more to get the employees. They got to pay more for the chicken. You're just paying more. This is affecting the middle class. There's a few restaurants out here in California, actually in Los Angeles, that are having to pay thirty dollars an hour to get waiters and waitresses. It is incredible what's happening. So if you're wondering why the unemployment rate is so high, it's because you can almost make that same amount of money on unemployment insurance. So uh, hopefully, I think it's 26 now Republican states that are giving up that extra 300 bucks a month. Hopefully that'll change soon. All right, chicken notwithstanding, Ray, what is driving inflation? What commodities? We know lumber, we know copper, what else? Yeah, well, uh, it's supply chain shortages. That's what causes inflation. When you have tremendous demand and limited supply, prices go up. And right now, you speak of lumber, lumber has gone up a certain uh, spruce and some other uh, plywood, I think, 300%. The cost of an average home today is about $36,000 higher. In California, it's got to be, I don't know, probably triple that. So uh, it, it's, it's really insidious, this whole inflation problem. Uh, they say it is temporary, but here's where my concern lies. If you have to pay $20, $30 an hour for a $15 or a $13 or $12 an hour job, that's wage inflation. Now, I've been an employer for over 40 years and retired now, but whenever I gave employees more money, I could never take it away. So sooner or later, other prices have to catch up. 
That's right. Uh, when will all the government spending and inflation catch up, and where do we put our money to keep it safe? Aside from, aside from guns and ammo, I think that's a pretty <laughs> safe investment these days. I did hear you say that. Neither you nor I are in the advisory business right now, so I don't want to get uh, over my skis on where to put money. Of course, some people think that gold is the answer. Uh, I'll tell you one thing that I think is a certainty. When interest rates are this low, locking into a low interest fixed rate loan and purchasing real estate with an ample amount of money down, understanding the risks is a pretty darn good arbitrage because inflation has no impact on a 30 year fixed rate loan. It does have an impact on prices in real estate as we just discussed. So I would suggest that those are the types of investments to discuss with your financial advisor. All right. Ray Lucia, we appreciate you being on with us. Thank you so much. I want you to know I came out of retirement. This is my first TV hit since two years ago when I retired, and I did it because you called. Oh, I am so honored. Could not be more honored. Love to your family. Hold down the fort in California. We appreciate you being here. You Coming too. up, some news you didn't know. Stick around back in a moment. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome back. Let's, uh, let's be in prayer for those uh, suffering in Miami today, those who can't find their loved ones, uh, those who are stuck in that building, and just miracles all over the place. Let's also please be in prayer for our own Ben Burkwam and his family who are still working their way back from that accident that happened a couple of days ago. His wife, Vili, uh, had to come out of surgery today because of a uh, nicked artery. So we'll be praying for them as well. Thank you for joining me tonight. Thank you to everyone here at your new home for real news, real America's voice. Hug your children, love your God, go boldly now, live the truth. Good night.